Chapter 16 of The War of Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The War of Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization by George F. Dillon. Chapter 16. Eckert shows that at present all secret societies are divided into two parties, the party of direction and the party of action, or war party. The duty of the intellectual party is to plot and to contrive. That of the party of action is to combine, recruit, excite to insurrection, and fight. The members of the war party are always members of the intellectual party, but not vice versa. The war party thus know what is being plotted, but the other party, concealed as common Freemasons amongst the simpletons of the lodges, cover both sections from danger. If the war party succeed, the peace party go forward and seize upon the offices of state and the reins of power. Their men go to the hustings, make speeches that suit, are written up in the press, which all the world over is under Masonic influence. They're cried up by the adroit managers of mobs. They become the deputies, the ministers, the talirans, the fouches, the gambettis, the fairies. And, of course, they make the war party generals, admirals, and officers of the army, the navy, and the police. If the war party fails, the intellectual party who close their lodges during the combat appear afterwards as partisans, if possible, of the conquering party, or, if they cannot be that, they silently conspire. They manage to get some friends into power. They agitate. They, in either case, come to the assistance of the defeated war party. They extenuate the faults, while condemning the heedless rashness of ill-advised, good-natured, though too ardent young men. They cry for mercy. They move the popular compassion. In time, they free the culprits, and thus prepare for new commotions. All Freemasonry has been long thus adapted to enable the intellectual party to assist the war party in distress. It must be remembered that every Carbonaro is in reality a Freemason. He is taught the passes and can manipulate the members of the craft. Now, at the very threshold of the admission of a member to Freemasonry, the master of the lodge, the venerable, thus solemnly addresses him. Masons, says he, are obliged to assist each other by every means when occasion offers. Freemasons ought not mix themselves up in conspiracies, but if you come to know that a Freemason is engaged in any enterprise of the kind, and has fallen a victim to his imprudence, you ought to have compassion upon his misfortune, and the Masonic bond makes it a duty for you to use all your influence and the influence of your friends in order to diminish the rigor of punishment in his favor. From this it will be seen with what astute care masonry prepares its dupes from the very beginning to subserve the purposes of the universal revolution. Under plea of compassion for a brother in distress, albeit through his supposed imprudence, 
The mason's duty is to make use not only of all his own influence, but also of the influence of his friends, to either deliver him altogether from the consequences of what is called his misfortune, or to diminish the rigor of his punishment. Masonry, even in its most innocent form, is a criminal association. It is criminal in its oaths, which are at best rash, and it is criminal in promising obedience to unknown commands coming from hidden superiors. It is always, therefore, sympathizing with crime. It hates punishment of any repressive kind, and does what it can to destroy the death penalty even for murder. In revolution, its common practice is to open gaols and let felons free upon society. When it cannot do this, it raises in their behalf a mock sympathy. Hence, we have Victor Hugo pleading with every government in Europe in favor of revolutionists. We have the French Republic liberating the communists. And there is a motion before the French Parliament to repeal the laws against the party of dynamite, the internationalists, whose aim is the destruction of every species of religion, law, order, and property, and the establishment of absolute socialism. With ourselves, there is not a revolutionary movement created what we do not find at the same time an intellectual party apparently disconnected with it, often found condemning it, but in reality supporting it indirectly, but zealously. The Odgers and others of the trades union, for instance, will murder and burn, but it is the Bradlaws, the men theorizing in Parliament if they can, or on the platform if they cannot, who sustain that very party of action. They secretly sustain what in public they strongly reprobate, and if necessary disown and denounce. This is a point worthy of deep consideration, and shows more than anything else the ability and astuteness with which the whole organization has been planned. Again, we must remember that while the heads of the party of action are well aware of the course being taken by the intellectual party, it does not follow that the intellectual party know the movements of the party of action, or even the individuals, at least so far as the rank and file are concerned. It therefore can happen in this country that Freemasons, or others who are in communication only with the Supreme Council on the continent, get instructions to pursue one line of conduct, and that the war party, for deep reasons, get instructions to oppose them. This serves, while preventing the possibility of exposure, to enable the work of the infidel propaganda to be better done. It is the deeply hidden chief and his council that concoct and direct all. They wield a power with which, as is well known, the diplomacy of every nation in the world must count. There are men either of this council or the first line of its service whom it will never permit to be molested. Weishaupt, Nubius, Mazzini, Picolet Tigre, De Witt, Meisley, Garibaldi, Number One, Hartmann, may have been arrested, banished, etc., but they never found the prison that could contain them long. 
it is determined by the supreme directory that at any cost the men of their first lines shall not suffer and from the beginning they have found means to enforce that determination against all the crowned heads of europe now you must be curious to know who succeeded to the chieftaincy of this formidable conspiracy when nubius passed away it is one well known to you at least by fame it was no other than the late lord palmerston End of chapter 16